0: you're listening to the Deeper Christian Bible Study series in the book of Ephesians. Thank you for joining me, Nathan Johnson, on an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of this incredible book by Paul. Now, let's dive into the lesson for today. So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1 is where we're at. And again, Paul is uh, walking through these blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. And what I'd like to do is, is again starting at the very beginning of the blessing section, which is Ephesians chapter one verse three, and read through this first section, uh, which is the blessings we have in the Father, uh, which goes down through verse six. So again, Ephesians chapter one verse three, if you have your Bibles. Paul writes this Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons to himself through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he graciously bestowed on us in the beloved. Uh, Maybe just as a quick review, Paul comes into the blessing section and says, here is a blessed God who just cannot help himself. He just, he has to do something. And so what is he going to do with the, blessing, the blessedness that he is? Well, he's going to spill that blessing out upon you. So here's the blessed God who is blessing you. And what is the blessings that he has given you? Well, Paul says in verse 3, it is every spiritual blessing. And what is the every spiritual blessing? And we've walked through this, but the every spiritual blessing is not this thing. It's a person. His name is Jesus. And that person, Jesus, becomes all that you need for life and godliness. In other words, every single blessing that God has for you is not Jesus plus this blessing. It's Jesus and Jesus alone who becomes your blessing. Uh, so again, I don't, I don't go up to God and say, God, I really need some love. And God goes, oh, I've got, I've got a container of love for you. Uh, here, you know, here's, this, here's a pill called love. What God does is he says, oh, I have something for you. And he gives me Jesus, who then becomes my love. And what's so amazing about that is if I, if I thought I needed love and I really needed joy, I still get Jesus, who is the fullness of love because he is love, and he's also the fullness of joy because he is joy. And he's also my peace and my patience and my kindness and my goodness and my faithfulness, my gentleness, my self-control. He is all that I need. And so, again, as, as, we, as we're walking through these blessings, every single blessing finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, which is phenomenal, because the moment you have Jesus, you are blessed, So here's Paul as he gets into verse four, and he's beginning to kind of give a list, if you will, of some of the blessings that we have that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now again, this is not a comprehensive list. This is just merely Paul just saying, wow, I'm just, I'm marveling at the reality of who he is and all Jesus is longing to do in our lives. And so he begins to make a list of these blessings. But again, every blessing finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So he says things like in verse four, that you are chosen. That an exciting thought. And as we were walking through this earlier, this idea of choosing is not like um, my elementary school dodgeball choosing, right? In elementary dodgeball, I was chosen last, but hey, at least I got to play. Right? In this case, hey, you are chosen, but how are you chosen? It's like, I don't know how this works, but somehow it's like God lines us all up and says, all right, I get one first pick. Who am I gonna pick? Who am I gonna pick? You! I'm gonna pick you. And you are God's first pick. Why? Because hey, you are chosen. In fact, the choosing is really significant because in verse 4 it says that you were chosen before the foundations of the world. In other words, even before God said, let there be light, you were on his mind. Isn't that a neat thought? That, that you are not an accident, that you are not a mistake, and hey, maybe your parents told you that, but hey, in God's eyes, hey, you are not an accident. Hey, you are down to it, absolutely essential to the plans and the purposes of God. Why? Because you were chosen. And you were on his mind even before the foundations of the world were created. Now, why did he choose you? Well, he chose you to be like the one who is choosing you. And it's this whole idea of being holy and blameless. That, That here you are, that you have been chosen before the foundations of the world. And why did God choose you? Oh, he chose you so that... You would be holy, and you would be blameless. In other words, you would literally take on the character of God himself, the one who is choosing you. Now, he says at the end of verse 4, or at the beginning of verse 5, that this is all done in love, and that he predestined you unto adoption, that he has decided, he decided in advance, that, oh, I, hey, you're going to be my child. And again, this is, it's relational language, right? And you and I, as, as, as Christians, have all the benefits of an heir of the kingdom of heaven, that you are not merely a, uh, that you are not a slave in the kingdom of heaven, though that biblically could be true too. right? In other words, Paul kept saying, I am a, I'm a slave of Christ. And that is true. But you're not just a slave. You are a son. And you realize that as a son, you, ha- you have all the benefits. You have all the, uh, all the blessings of, of the actual heir. And we walked through this a couple of weeks ago. But when you get into the idea of adoption, Paul is using the Roman concept of adoption Uh, in our passage, which is this whole idea that the first has given up their rights, the the biological has given up their rights to the child, and now they have no longer any claim on that individual. And the one who is adopting you has all the rights, all the purposes, all the claim upon your life. In other words, you, you are seen not as an illegitimate son. You are not seen as merely an adopted son. You are seen as a legitimate son of the new adopted father which is phenomenal, when you think about it. Because, hey, our old father, if you will, sin, death, and corruption, has lost its hold on your life, and that no longer can define you. Hey, that has given up its rights, a line has been drawn in the sand, and Paul, looking at this thing, says, wow, the only language that I can use is that you are a new creation. Why? Because you are completely different. You have a new adopted father, if you will. And 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 Paul says in our passage in verse 5 that he has has longed for you to be his child. He has predestined you unto adoption as sons to himself through Jesus Christ. And then he says, according to his good pleasure of his will. In other words, this just delights the socks off of him. He just thinks about you as a son or a daughter and just goes, woo, this is what I've been longing for this entire time. Why? Because he's already chosen you before the foundations of the world. Now, That's all the precursor, if you will, to verse 6. Verse 6 is kind of the summary statement of this little section. It's almost like Paul is stepping back and looking at all that he just wrote, and he just goes, wow, that is so good. Now, we haven't even gotten into the rest of the blessings, but just in the first couple of verses here, Paul is looking at the phenomenal reality of the blessings that we have, and he makes this grand statement in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he graciously bestowed on us in the beloved. I'll read it again. Listen to this. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he graciously bestowed on us in the beloved. And Paul is looking at this whole thing saying, wow, do you realize that all the blessings that God has poured out upon your life that finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ should have one response back to God? Praise. Praise that you look at all that God has done in your life and you're just, oh, you're captivated and captured and you're just like, wow. And you begin to give praise unto the glory of his grace. Why? Because, wow, look what he's done in my life. And this isn't a, well, you, you know, hey, you should give God some praise. That's really important. So praise God. Let's sing a worship song. It's not that idea. This is, hey, you, you, just, you just cannot help yourself. Something bubbles up within you and it just grabs a hold of you and says, hey, you just, you just can't be passive with this. That there's something that should be bubbling forth. You, you've got to respond. Isn't it amazing that in God's Word, God's Word, His truth, demands response? that you can't be passive with this thing? It's interesting that you know, all these secular schools are, are studying parts of Scripture. And it's a religious study class and all this kind of thing. and it it's becomes academic, it becomes dull and dry. And, but it's interesting that as a child of God, as you get into the Word of God, it, it does not let you remain the same. It demands response. That as truth begins to grip your life and you begin to see your life in light of the truth, and as, as the Holy Spirit begins to press on you and begins to say, hey, I don't see that area of your life. I don't think it's as it should be. And he begins to press on you and, you be, and say, hey, can I change that area of your life? Hey, that attitude, that thinking, that, that, that language that you're using, as, as he begins to press on your life, you realize it demands response. So here's Paul. He's pondering this overwhelming reality of the blessings that we have in Jesus. And he says, hey, there should be something bubbling up within you. And the response to this whole thing is praise. Now, we mentioned this last week as we were getting into verse six. But your whole life should be under the praise of his glory. That Everything that comes out of your life should be for his praise. Everything that comes out of your life should be for his glory. In fact, I, I read this last week. But in the Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul says, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31. In other words, hey, no matter what the activity is in your life, there should be something coming out of your life. What is it? Well, it should be done for the praise of his glory. I've said this oftentimes, but I'm really convinced that Romans chapter 11 I think it's verse 36, is a great summary of the entirety of the New Testament. And at the end of this kind of this praise anthem that what, what Paul's saying in Romans 11, Paul says this is all from him, through him, and to him for his praise and for his glory. That what, what what is the Christian life about? Well the Christian life is about from him, through him, to him. Hey, What, what is your life supposed to reflect? Well, your life is from him, through him, to him. And therefore, it should demonstrate the the realities of that truth. That your life should reflect him. That your life should be unto the praise of his glory. And that your response as a Christian should be, whoa, everything that's coming out of my life is just, oh, this is for Jesus. This is for Jesus. This is for Jesus. Sounds like a Christian, doesn't it? Now, in our passage, Paul says, to the praise of the glory of of his grace, to the praise of the glory of his grace. That all these blessings are to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he graciously bestowed on us and the beloved. That he's dumping all of these blessings upon you. He's graciously bestowing all these blessings on you in Jesus, to the praise of his grace. Now, it's interesting that idea of grace, and we've walked through this so many times here, but. You know, grace in our culture today has, 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 is being dumbed down, right? Another grace is just, oh, ah, there's all these books, you know, what's so amazing about grace? And, and, and as, as we're looking at this idea of grace, grace has been truncated, if you will, to the idea of, well, it's, it's merely forgiveness. Oh, the grace of God, it's, it's the, as Eric sometimes uses, it's the warm hug, right? So here you are, you're desperately needing something. Oh, God is so graceful. He comes up to you and pats you on the head and says, oh, you're so good. Do you realize grace is far more than that reality? Because, yeah, grace is forgiveness, and that is so phenomenal. But when you actually look at the the reality of the gospel and the reality of what God's grace has done, it is not some little tiny winky-dinky kind of a thing. This thing is immense. That God's grace is not just a little pat on the head. This isn't just a... You know, a parent looking at the child and smiling, going, all right, well, good job. We'll do better next time. It's, it's not that kind of stuff. This is, this is epic. Uh, one of my heroes uh, in Christianity is uh, Ian Thomas. And I loved how Ian Thomas, and, I, and I've gone through this before here too, but how Ian Thomas described creation. Yeah, Ian Thomas said that here is God who is invisible, and the invisible God creates a physical, visible world. So as an invisible God who creates a physical, visible world, how is the physical, visible world going to see an invisible God? And so Ian Thomas says, well, it was simple. An invisible God created a physical, visible man that he could pour his spirit into so that a physical, visible world could look at the physical, visible man and see the invisible God. And what you and I were made for was a demonstration of the person, the life, the glory of God. That when creation looked at your life, they were supposed to go, Whoa, there is a God in the universe. In fact, you actually see that all through scripture. Uh, For example, David fighting Goliath. David says, Hey, I'm going to cut off your head, and all the world will know that God is still upon the throne. Hey, Elijah comes to the prophets of Baal and says, Hey, this day the world will know that God is still enthroned in heaven. Right? As, As you begin to walk through this, Paul says, Guess what you are? You are a cracked pot. Isn't that encouraging? It's not just you're a pot. You know, you're this little, you know, clay vessel, right? You put some, you know, roses in it or it's a little water jar, right? Paul says, you're not even that. You're, you're that, but it has a crack down the side of it. And you're like, well, what good is that? Right? If you, if you take a cracked pot and you go down to the well to draw some water and you bring back the water in the cracked pot, you're not going to come back with all the water, why? Because there's a crack in it. It's going to leak out. Paul goes, exactly. And you're like, that's not, that's not good, Paul. Thank you. That, that doesn't help me, Paul. Paul goes, no, 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 you, you missed this. You are a cracked pot, and that's great. And you're like, no, no, no. Paul, if I go down to the well and I get water, my, it's gonna, I'm going to leak. Paul goes, exactly. Because you know what you're filled with? You're filled with the life of Jesus. So as you're marching around town, you're a cracked pot, which means the, more, the bigger the crack, the more the glory of God is going to be seen. He says, no wonder I boast in my weaknesses and my infirmities. Why? Because it's not my, my strength that's being seen, but when I boast of my weaknesses, God's strength is seen all the more through my weak cracks. He goes, woo, rejoice in the fact that you're a cracked pot. We get in right there. That's good news. Maybe. So why did God create Adam and Eve? Well, Adam and Eve were created to be a demonstration of the life of God. So again, the physical visible man was to showcase to the physical visible world the invisible God. But what did the physical visible man do? He rebelled. He shook his fist in God's face and said, I'm choosing independence. I want to do it my way. And we as humanity went into sin. And now our lives are marred, now our lives are just just torn up, now our lives are not looking like they're supposed to look like. Why? Because we are not filled with the presence of God, we're now full of, well, ourselves. And that's not a good sign. And you recognize in that state, there is no way for your life to give Him praise. In that state, hey, you cannot live unto His glory. Why? Because it's all about you. So think about this. We say, oh, the grace of God has come and has forgiven that. That's true. But there's a problem. If the grace of God merely is a a hug that forgives and overlooks the stuff, you realize there's a problem because we still have a sin nature. In other words, uh, we have, I'll, 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 I'll try to do this this way, we have this thing called sin and we have these things called Sins. Make sense? Now, sin is a nature thing. It's what is producing the sins. So if the grace of God merely is forgiveness, and it forgives us of all of our sins, which, which by the way, it does, right? Praise the Lord. <laughs> then, hey, that's phenomenal. It removes all of this over here, but we still have a nature problem, which means even though he's forgiven us of what we have done, we still have a nature that is full of sin, and it's going to keep producing sins, and Paul says, hey, the grace of God is not merely a forgiveness of sins. The grace of God is, yes, it forgives us of our sins. But then it, it changes our nature on the inside so that no longer you have the sin nature. Now there's no longer this, oh, I want to shake my fist in God's face. Oh, I just cannot wait to rebel. Oh, I just want to live in sin. That, that that begins to change and you no longer have the nature. Which is Awesome. Now I'm not talking sinless perfection. In other words, there's you know the big movement that talks about the fact that you can get to the point in Christianity where I never sin any longer. Oh, that would be nice. <laughs> and hey, God's working on you, and He's sanctifying you. But you realize sanctification is a lifelong process. At least for me. Maybe not for Sandy, but for everybody else. She's not even here. But, but, you, but you realize that sanctification is a lifelong process. Now, he should not be dealing with the big stuff 10 years down the road. Right? So back in the day, I used to murder three people every weekend. But hey, that was better. It used to be five. Right? And then God, God got a hold of my life. And I said, okay, well, I'm only going to I'm I'm kill one person every other weekend right? This is, this is not true. By the, just to clarify, you know, this, if this audio ever goes to like the courtroom, they're like, see, you confessed. This is, this is just an example. Okay, I'm just, just an illustration. But God gets a hold of my life. And you realize that he has forgiven the sins, the deeds, but now he's changing my nature. Now I go, oh, I don't, I don't even want to kill people anymore. But now he's having to deal with the hatred in my heart. And then he starts dealing with the frustration in my heart. And then he starts dealing with the, and there's a progression. And you realize that, that though he deals with the murder, and that murder stuff better be dealt with quickly <laughs> for all of our sakes. But you realize that, that there's a progression of sanctification for the rest of your life. And the grace of God, again, is not just the forgiveness of sins. It is the empowerment to live the life you are called to live. So as a Christian, do you have to sin? No. First John is very clear about that. Now, will you sin? Probably. Why? Because we're still in a sin-scarred body, and we have developed habits over all these years, and I don't intend... See, but the, but, the, but the sin that comes out of my life is no longer rebellion kind of stuff. Because I don't have this heart anymore. I don't want to sin. Here, I, I get frustrated, and I kick the dog. And I go, oh, I didn't mean to kick the dog. I should have kicked the cat, you know? Just kidding. You know? But hey, God's working on me. But hey, so do I need to repent for that? Yes. But was it done in rebellion? No. It's still sin, folks. It's still anger and frustration. And and it has to be repented of. But he's changing my, I don't have that heart anymore like I used to have. Is that making sense? And when we're talking about the grace of God, the grace of God isn't just forgiveness of sins, deeds, The grace of God changes your nature and it empowers you. It's the strength, it's the impetus for you to live out the life that you were called to live as a Christian. Oh, we use the illustration right here about pockets. I hey, I'm called to live out this epic Christian life. And I turn to my own self and I look at my pockets and ah, I don't have it. Yeah, but he has it. How are you gonna have it? By grace, through faith. That here you are, and and you realize that you don't have it in your pockets, so you turn to him and say, God, you're going to have to do something in my life. God, I'm in the middle of a temptation, and I don't know how to get out of this, and I've always given into the temptation. I've always murdered this person. Maybe not this person. I've always murdered somebody. So, hey, I'm in the middle of this temptation. You're going to have to do something in in my life so that I don't just keep on doing this. And I can actually walk in freedom and victory. Why? Because as I look at him in faith, his grace empowers me to live out the life that I am called to live. Which is why we call this amazing grace. Because this is not just some, well, it's a pat on the head, or I'll overlook the deeds, or I'll I'll forgive these lists of things. He does that, which is phenomenal. But he also changes the very source, which is producing the deeds themselves. And not only that, but then he's working through my life And he's sanctifying me, process, moment by moment, process by process, step by step, so that I begin to look more and more like him. That that I I am choosing the sin less and less. That that my heart is being refined and purified. That it's not just my actions, but then my motives and my attitudes and my thought processes and and all that stuff is coming into alignment with him. And yes, there's correction that has to take place. But it's not, hey, my heart is not one of rebellion. My heart is, God, I want to follow you. But hey, I'm an idiot. I'm called a sheep. Sheep are dumb, folks. Haven't you seen a sheep? There's a reason a shepherd has a rod. Why? Because he has to keep the sheep in line. It's not that the sheep is going, oh, I want to rebel. The sheep are just dumb. And I want to obey. I really do. Hey, I want to live fully for Christ. I really do. I want every thought in my mind to be for his glory. I really do. But there are times when I'm, I'm starting to drift and he just goes, whack! And I'm like, oh, yeah. I shouldn't be going that direction. It's not rebellion. That's his grace. Do you not, does this make sense? So his grace really is amazing. Why? Because it forgives the deeds of my life, the, the sins, but it also deals with the nature of sin itself. And then it begins to sanctify my life so that I, I, I'm being changed more and more into his likeness. And if that wasn't enough, he empowers me to live out the life I'm called to live. So here's Paul. He's looking at all that God has done in verses uh, 3 through 5, and he says, whoa. Look Look at all the blessings that you get to experience. This is to the praise of the glory of his grace. Look at what he's done inside of you. Isn't this phenomenal, Paul says. He goes, I just want to stand up and sing. In fact, I just want my life to be a a Broadway musical, declaration unto Jesus Christ, that everywhere I go, everything that I do, it just starts singing forth the praise anthem of our God. Why? Because, oh, he is so good. Uh, Titus, chapter 2, verse 11. I love this. Paul says to Titus, that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That God's grace is just going after him. But interestingly, in Jude chapter 1 verse 4, Jude makes the comment. He says, for there are some men who secretly crept in who pervert the grace of our God into immorality. In other words, what Jude is saying is, hey, there's these guys who have taken the grace of God and is using the grace of God for their own selfishness and their own perversion and their own sin." Uh, Paul in Romans asks the question, Well, what should we say? Should we keep on sinning that grace may abound? In other words, every time that I sin, God's grace comes in when I repent, and hey, wow, I get get to experience the grace of God, and therefore, the more I sin, the more grace I get. And Paul goes, Well, if that's true, what's sin? Shouldn't we just keep on sinning then? Because the more we sin, hey, God's grace is going to have to come in, and his grace, hey, we end up experiencing more of his grace, which was, wow, we want more of his grace. So, hey, we should keep on sinning so we get more grace. Isn't that true? And Paul answers the question. He goes, are you insane? That, that would be the NRJ translation. But he says, certainly not. He says, what are you, what are you talking about? We're not, why would you keep on sinning? Because the grace of God is not going to let you keep on sinning. He's going to harness you and bring you into alignment. He's going to enable you to live out the life you're called to live. So why would you want to keep on sinning? Well, I want to experience the grace of God. You can experience the grace of God without sinning. In fact, I actually would argue that you're going to have more of the grace of God if you don't sin. Why? Because you're experiencing the empowerment for living, not just the forgiveness of the deeds. And it's one thing to realize that you have been forgiven and that, his, that the deeds of sin have been washed clean. That is phenomenal. I mean, you should be jumping up and down. Why are you still sitting? I mean, grab the white hankies, run the aisles. This is phenomenal news. I mean, this is awesome. But I actually think it's more awesome not just to have, you have the deeds forgiven, but to begin to live out the life that you are called to live. And you start looking at your life going, I don't know how I'm even living this thing. That what's coming out of my life is actually impossible. How are you doing it? Must be Jesus. Do you know what we call someone who lives like that? Yeah, we'd have to call him a Christian, wouldn't we? I want to be a Christian. So what is grace? I don't even know how to describe the realities of grace. It's not merely the hog idea, again, it's the empowerment idea. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10. I think Peter's struggling with how to describe grace because he says in 1 Peter 4.10, as everyone has received a gift, even so serve one another with it as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. He says, oh, the grace of God is manifold. It's manifold. Well, what's manifold? It's the idea of like numerous, various, many. Uh, You have this accordion, right? And you take an accordion, and and you shrink it down. And you're like, oh, it's a really small accordion. You're like, no, no, no let me show you. And you, Rrr, and all the folds of the accordion are now spread out. And you're like, whoa, there was, there's like a lot to that. And you're like, I know, it was many folds. It, it was folded up. Uh, you have this drapery, this curtain, right? And you kind of squeeze it all together. And you're like, oh, it's a cute little curtain. But this thing can expand huge. Why? Because it's been folded. Do you realize the grace of God is folded? And the more you begin to pull it open, it's like, whoa, this, this thing gets bigger and bigger. This gets better. This is awesome. This is better than an accordion. That's hard to believe. Uh, let, me, let me explain grace and the manifold wonder of grace this way. There's a scholar who wrote this. Uh, his name was Eric Ludy. And uh, so I, I stole this from Eric. <clears throat> but I, I just thought this was such a rich articulation of grace. So, in explaining the manifold wisdom of grace, Eric says it this way. Grace is an action, a super heroic action, but it's more than an action. Grace is a power, an extreme power, but it's more than a power. Grace is a mercy, an extreme mercy, but it's more than a mercy. Grace is kindness, an unmerited kindness, but it is more than a kindness. Grace is a virtue, an exemplary virtue, but it's more than a virtue, Grace is an historic event, an event that is central to all history, but it's more than a historical event. Grace is a gift, an unspeakable gift, but it's more than a gift. Grace is a work, a legal work of atonement, propitiation, justification, redemption, forgiveness, and adoption, but it's more than a legal work. Grace is a life, a quickening life, a transforming life, but it is not an impersonal life. Grace is more than an action, a power, a mercy, a kindness, a virtue, an event, a gift, or a legal work. Grace is a person grace is jesus christ the loving action the unstoppable power the extreme mercy the unmerited kindness the exemplary virtue the unspeakable gift and the perfect rescuing work of god upon the cross the historic events of all historic events grace is the abundant life of god made available in the person of jesus christ jesus is grace what a great definition you're like well what is grace grace is so immense, I don't know how you begin to describe it. Which is why we call it amazing. Because the more you begin to stare at the idea of grace, the more your mouth is agape, and you're just going, whoa, this thing is huge. But if you were to summarize it, grace is a person. His name is Jesus. Now, I would encourage you at some point to do an in-depth study of grace, but as you walk through Scripture, uh, Scripture gives us a whole list of things that says, that, that tell us what grace is actually given for. In other words, yes, it's, it's the forgiveness of sins, <clears throat> but again, there's so many folds to this idea of grace. So what is grace given for? And I'll just give you a short list, and you can study these out later. But grace was given that we might labor more abundantly, that we may have sufficiency in all things, that we may abound to every good work for obedience to the faith as power for witnessing of the resurrection of Jesus in order that we may lay foundations for preaching among the Gentiles as our means of help in time of need, Whereby we may receive our uh, grace is, whereby we may serve God acceptably. Grace makes us perfect; it establishes us, strengthens us, settles us, saves us, and enables others to believe in Jesus Christ. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. This is like, there are—it's a manifold reality, which is no wonder why John Newton, when he wrote "Amazing Grace," said grace truly is amazing because it is. So think about this flow. Here is Paul, and he's just captured by these blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. And he says, hey, do you not recognize that, hey, you have been chosen? Hey, you have been blessed. You have been adopted. Hey, you, you get to have the character and the nature of God himself, which is holy and blameless. Hey, that you get to be an heir of the king. And it's like Paul, no wonder. It's like he s- jumps up to his feet and shouts with all of his might oh, to the praise of his glory. This is to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he has graciously bestowed on us in the beloved. Now, it's interesting, even that, this idea of in the beloved, you realize that term, in the beloved, that he has graciously bestowed all of this on us in the beloved. And I mentioned this last week, but the word beloved, it's a relational term, speaking of Jesus. That This isn't just some impersonal thing that God is doing where he's like, all right, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a transaction with you and I'm going to give you grace. How does he give us grace? Oh, in Jesus. It's in his beloved. And it's in that richness of intimacy that the Father has with the Son. And it's in the richness of intimacy that we get to have with Jesus that we get to experience the realities of the grace. So it is out of the intimacy and the oneness and the kindness and, the, and that sort of relationship that God or that, that Paul says that we get to experience the grace of God in. It's in the middle of a relationship. It's in the middle of being beloved because he is the beloved one. I think that's important. Because I think for too many of us, we, we, we see grace as a transaction. We, we see grace as merely this, well, that's what God does for me because I repented. So God, I'm sorry, you have to give me Grace. But you realize this whole thing is about relationship and intimacy and oneness. And he's longing to draw you back into fellowship with himself. And it's in the middle of that love relationship that he wants to have with you that he has graciously bestowed every blessing upon you in Jesus Christ. Now, that word, graciously bestowed, oh, it's really neat. Uh, it only shows up two times in the entire New Testament. Obviously, one time is here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. But this idea of graciously bestowed is actually the verb form of the word grace. In other words, it's, I don't know how you even translate that, but it's like God has graced us. That he has caused grace to be effective. That he is, it's a blessing, but it's it's an action, but it's a a life. I don't don't even know how you want to describe it. But he has graced us. Uh, The other time this word is used, (coughs) graciously bestowed, Uh, Is in Luke chapter 1, verse 28. Uh, In Luke chapter 1, verse 28, Gabriel comes before this young woman. And here's Mary. She's probably, I don't know, between the ages of probably 13, 14, 15, somewhere around there. And uh, Gabriel shows up and just says, Hey, you are highly favored. That's that word. Hey, you are highly favored. Well, why are you highly favored? Because you are chosen as the vessel through which the Messiah is going to be brought into the world. So we're going to look at you and say, "Woo, highly favored. You've been graced. Why? Because you're going to be carrying the Messiah. That it wasn't Mary and how great Mary was. And yeah, she was a righteous woman. But it wasn't her in the sense that it was all about her. It's the fact that God has chosen her. And because God has chosen her to carry the Messiah, therefore she is highly favored. Do you realize that that's you? Physically, Mary carried the Messiah and brought physically the Messiah into the world. Now, we don't do that physically, but we do do that spiritually. That you and I, as Christians, as believers, carry the living God within us, be His Spirit. We carry the Messiah. Now, Mary did it physically. We understand that. We're not talking physical, we're talking spiritual. But just as Mary physically carried the Messiah and brought him into the world, we spiritually carry the Messiah within us via his spirit, and we bring him out into the world. And Mary carrying the Messiah, Gabriel looked at her and says, woo, you are highly favored. You have been graced. Why? Because you've been chosen to carry the Messiah. Paul says the same thing about you. He says all these blessings have been dumped upon you. Why? Not because of you, but because you get to carry the Messiah and bring him out into the world. Do you know what a uh, privilege that is? Do you know what an honor that is? You have the living God within you. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, the master, the creator of the universe lives inside of you via his spirit. You are graced. You are highly favored. Hey, this is a good thing. No wonder Paul jumps to his feet and just goes, wow. This is all for the praise of his glory. I'm convinced that if we would truly get a hold of this idea of grace, it would change how we live. I'm convinced of it. And this is so convicting to me because sometimes you just get so bogged down in life and you know, the, the circumstances and the situations that you forget the realities that you get to live in as a Christian. Do you recognize what he has graced you in the midst of or from? That here you, you, you had a whole life of rebellion. You've had a whole life of shaking your fist in his face. You've had a whole life full of sins. And his overwhelming grace has forgiven the sins. He's dealt with the sin nature of sin itself. That he is sanctifying your life day by day. He's empowering you to live out the Christian life. You have been graced. You actually get to carry inside of yourself the realities of the nature of God. That he himself lives inside of you via the Holy Spirit. This is phenomenal. Shouldn't that change how we live? See, I I mean somehow if I could recognize the fact that God's grace has worked in my life, see I, I don't think I could ever get depressed. Why? Because if I saw what he saved me from, shouldn't that just cause like a skip in my step and a tune in my lips and just, woo, I'd just be like, go, everywhere i go, I, I'd sound like Elijah. I'm just singing everywhere I go, and I'm just hollering, and I'm just worshiping. I'm just, woo, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I had some school loans, and uh, I got out of college, and I had, had some debt, and after several years, I finally, oh, finally got rid of my college debt. Do you know what a good day that was? Oh, the freedom I felt the weight off my shoulders. I finally went out and got some ice cream. I went out and got an ice cream cone because it was the first time I could afford it. I mean, I was so excited. Why? Because I, I got rid of my debt. Do you know how paltry that is in comparison to the reality of our spiritual lives in Jesus? That one sin should have sent us into eternity for hell, and yet he has forgiveness of all of these deeds and actions and thoughts and, and lifestyle kind of stuff. And he's he's dealt with the nature of sin itself, and he's sanctifying my life, and he's empowering me to live. If I would actually see that reality, this is better than this is better than debt being gone. And if you could feel amazing like this, world is off your shoulders when debt's gone. It's like what would it, what would happen in your life if you began to realize that all of your sin has been dealt with? Wouldn't you just go? Oh, oh, this is so good. You'd eat ice cream every day, wouldn't you? Let's do that. So think about this. Paul is looking at the realities of what God has done, and he just says all of this is for his praise. We mentioned this last week, but your, everything in your life should be for the praise of his glory. That your life should be this echo, this thundering declaration. That your life is to be a Broadway musical of his life. That everything that just goes on in your life, you just break out in a song and dance, declaring his goodness, grandeur, glory, and greatness. Why? Because... He is worthy, especially if I actually see what he's done in my life. He has graced me. Uh, John Newton uh, ended up being a slave ship captain, and he was running slave ships back in the 1700s. And at one point in his life, John Newton ended up becoming a slave. And after several years of being a slave, he he ended up um, the whole. You know, you can read the whole story, but anyway, he ended up being freed from his slavery. And years later, he's reflecting back, and and God got a hold of his life on a ship one day. The ship they thought was going to sink, and so he cried out to God and all this kind of stuff. He became a Christian, and as he was looking at his whole life, he was so just dumbstruck with grace that he wrote "Amazing Grace," which is probably the. Probably best known him, maybe of all time. But you realize that John Newton is looking at the, the realities of grace and the realities of the gospel, but he's also seeing it in light of his personal life as not only just a slave captain, but as a slave itself. And I know you know the words, but let me just read them afresh. But this is amazing grace. Listen to this. Look at what God has done in your life. Newton says, amazing grace, oh, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did the grace appear, the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. T'was grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. Do you realize grace, the only way you can truly adequately describe grace is, wow, that's amazing. It's the manifold wonder of grace. God's grace is immense. And if I can encourage us this morning, I don't want us just to get so wrapped up in the, the activities of the day that we lose sight of Jesus. Say, I, I want God's grace in the forefront of my mind. Not just of what he has done in my life to deal with the junk of my life in the past, But the fact that he is sanctifying my life today. That he's empowering my life to live out the Christian life. That the only way I'm going to make it through this day as a Christian is I need his grace. That I am not going to think properly. I'm not going to speak properly. I'm not going to have the right attitude. I'm not going to live correctly without his grace. So by faith, can I turn to Christ and say, I need you afresh today to live in and through me the life that you were calling me to live, which is your life. I want us to live that way. Well, <clears throat> uh, next week, uh, we're going to continue this whole idea talking about the richness of God's grace as we look, in, uh, look at verse 7 and 8. Oh, we're moving ahead. Isn't this exciting? So we're going to be looking at verses 7 and 8 next week. And we'd uh, love for you to join me if you want to start studying ahead. But let's just pray. Oh, Lord, your grace truly is amazing. It is profound. It is so manifold. And it's no wonder that John Newton, looking at the depth and the reality of grace, had to call it amazing. Because this is not some little tap on the head. This is not some, oh, well, you've forgiven my sins or you've overlooked something that I've done. Lord, you have dealt with sins. You've dealt with the sin that you are empowering me to live out the Christian life, that it is by your grace that anything in my life is actually able to happen. So, Lord, by faith, I want to turn my gaze afresh upon you this morning and say you've got to empower me. You've got to change my thinking. You've got to take control of my lips. You've got to align my life with yours. So, Lord, I, as a little sheep, would you use your shepherd's crook and would you just bring the taps in my life and bring conviction where necessary to bring my life into alignment. Lord, may my life be to the praise of your glory somehow may my life be a declaration of your goodness and grace and grandeur and glory. Jesus, somehow today as I'm living out my life in the midst of this dark and perverted world, could they see the light that is shining through this cracked pot known as Nathan? Lord, somehow would, in the midst of my weakness, in the midst of my frailty, in the midst of my just my propensities, would you somehow bring forth your strength and would your grace so enable me to live a life that it becomes humanly impossible to describe outside of Jesus? Lord, I want to be a Christian in the fullness of that term. So, Lord, whatever is necessary to bring that about, Lord, I just ask that you would do it afresh. And, Lord, I pray that this generation will be marked by men and women who are full of faith, who are empowered by grace, who are living out the realities, the grandeur of the Christian life. Lord, may this world once again see the epic realities, the strength the empowerment of your grace lived out on this this stage of time. Lord, we just give you the glory. Oh, for you are worthy. We love you. Thank you that we get to experience your amazing grace. Not just once, but every moment of every day. Lord, let us not lose that focus. We love you. Just pray this in your precious, powerful and holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this study from the book of Ephesians with Nathan Johnson. If you'd like additional resources to help you build your life around Jesus, I encourage you to check out my website at deeperchristian.com. This podcast is the audio version taken from my video series in Ephesians. And if you'd like to view the video version of this study, you can do so by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians. No, I am cheering you on as you build your life around and upon Jesus Christ. See you next time.